Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. It's my absolute joy to introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, Misty Bower is just uh, one of Sammy's and my dearest friends. Um, we, we've been um, sort of journeying together with Scott and Misty for years and years now. And um, Misty's one of the elders of this church. She heads up the Matrix Trust, which is a phenomenal local uh, youth uh, charity, education charity, uh, working with many, many local young people. And I'm sure she'll talk more about that. And uh, Misty is just someone of prayer and of enormous uh, integrity. She's often the person in the eldership saying, that, yeah, but it's fine. It's a great idea, Pete, but is it right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, she's also just great fun as well. Uh, they're, they're, they're a wonderful family and we love them dearly. So let's just put our hands together and welcome Misty Bauer. glasses or not, so I'll keep them here just in case. Can we just pray? Holy, holy, holy is our God. Worthy of all glory and honour. And Father, we come before you this morning in humble adoration. And we ask that you reveal to us the magnitude of your story again. Amen. So hands up if you're ready for Christmas. Oh, a few hands going up. I'm slightly jealous. Uh, we've got our tree up. No gifts wrapped. Uh, my outfit is ready for the Matrix Trust Christmas party on Wednesday. Um, but I don't know about you, but I find it's all too easy to let the preparations for the holidays, family gatherings, present giving take precedent in this season of Advent. So I loved the fact that recently we had a prayer week right in the middle of December to remind us what we are preparing for, to remember the story of Christ, born a vulnerable baby to an innocent teenager. I hope you found time to spend in there as well, to stop and consider the Christmas story this Advent to be still as we remember the arrival, as the dictionary understates it, something notable. If you didn't, don't worry. Today I want to take us a step back into the prayer room, as it were, to step back from the preparations, from the glitter and the gifts and the sparkly lights and the shops, to sit at the feet of the Almighty and dream of a right Christmas, to consider the magnitude of this Christmas story again. And to do that, we're going to look at three miracles that took place 2,000 years ago. But I'm not talking about the miracle of the virgin birth, although this obviously was quite a miracle. But there are three other miracles that took place. Let's read from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. 
the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We often tell the Christmas story with our gently, gently voices on, don't we? The shepherds were watching their sheep when an angel appeared. But this wasn't an everyday occurrence. It wasn't even an everyday occurrence 2,000 years ago. The last time God spoke to his people was several hundred years before. They'd been hanging on to his promises, waiting for him to intervene. I wonder how hopeful they still were at this point that the Messiah really would come. Then after 400 years of silence, there are three visitations from heavenly messengers. messengers. Within 12 months, something was happening. Something important. That long season of apparent distance from the creator was coming to an end. And then it happened. Heaven broke through to earth. God had a message to bring, a job to do. But this time he was coming to do it himself. Hebrews tells us that the message of magnificent salvation was delivered in person by the master. The divine reached down to the form he created But as usual, God did not do things in the way we would expect. His people knew that Isaiah had spoken of a child being born that would be the saviour. But did they really believe that this was meant literally? Did they really understand what was happening? John probably knew the doubts of the people hearing the story. So rather than describe the details, he tries to help us understand the context and the magnitude of what's happening here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Four times in this short space, John reminds us that Jesus Christ was God, that he wasn't just another messenger sent by God. Firstly, he was there in the beginning. So he must have been God. Only God is the Alpha and Omega. Secondly, he was with God. Or as the Passion Translation says, they were together face to face. Surely only God can dwell with God face to face. Thirdly, he tells us he was God. No arguing with that. And then just in case we didn't quite get it, fourthly, he says, he was God in the beginning. Or as the Amplified says, he was continually existing in the beginning with God. This then is the Alpha and Omega, the creator, the most holy God, the one who holds all things together, about whom the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. But don't be mistaken. Don't take the vulnerability of the baby in this story as weakness or something to be cooed over. This is God the God the angels worship 24-7 from and for all eternity is the same God we are talking about in the Christmas story. And John takes time to make sure we are clear on this. So the first miracle of this story is that God himself, not a messenger, but the most holy God, chose to step down. That seed that was planted in Mary's womb was not just a seed that would become a man, but a seed of hope the light of the world, Christ the Messiah, God himself. 
And this was confirmed not just by John and his gospel written 85 or so years later, but even before the Christmas story really gets going. After Mary's slight confusion and then acceptance of what had been asked of her, she visited her cousin Elizabeth, whose baby, John the Baptist, the foreteller of Christ's coming, leapt in her womb. Even womb to womb, John knew the magnitude of what was happening. He knew the miracle occurring. Then there were those shepherds. On the night Christ was born, they were probably having a quiet night looking after their sheep when an angel appears. Now, remember, this was not an everyday occurrence, so I imagine they were a little bit shocked. But maybe they were more likely to be listening. The messenger tells them, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. But the angel doesn't stop there. This is not just any ordinary saviour. They continue, He is Christ the Lord. By now, the shepherds must be quite bemused by what they're seeing and hearing, possibly wondering if they're hallucinating, when suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God. It went from pitch black to glorious light in a flash, from uncertainty to hope in a second. They're told that the Saviour has been born, who is Christ the Lord, and a seed of hope was planted in their hearts. God himself had come. Tozer said, the heavens were opened. The message came from beyond this familiar world, but it wasn't just a message. Tozer continues, God himself crossed the wide, yawning gulf that separates what is God from what is not God. So the creator stepped back into the garden. This was his plan all along. The timing was right. The moment was here. Christ the Son came to meet us where we're at. So what's the second miracle then? John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God chose to dwell among us. He didn't just make breakthrough from heaven and shout hope from afar. He broke through to earth. He came close. He chose to take human form and walk among us. Or as Louis Giglio describes it, God arrived with skin, with both feet planted in our broken world. It's not that God hadn't been with his people since the beginning. When God created man, he walked with them in the garden. But since sin came into the world, God's presence was veiled in the tabernacle, the burning bush. His presence did not linger. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God walked in the garden looking for them. And now, once again, God came searching for us. But this time, he took on the form he created. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is the second miracle. There are only actually two of the Gospels that record the Christmas story as we tell it in any detail, Luke and Matthew. But all four Gospels tell us that Jesus was God in human form. Matthew tells us a child was to be born, but that he should be called Emmanuel, God with us. Mark quotes John the Baptist proclaiming that he is unworthy to tie the laces on Jesus' sandals. Luke describes how angel Gabriel tells Mary of the Holy One she is to bear. And John delves deep into that pre-story and tells us that the word became flesh. So why is this the key aspect that they tell us all about? 
It's not to belittle the story of Christ coming as a helpless babe. That is key in demonstrating God's commitment to taking on human form and becoming subject to all that being human meant. Perhaps then it was to ensure that we hold these two great truths in tension with each other. Jesus was human in every way and Jesus was fully God. In considering Christ as a helpless babe, we should be careful not to consider him a lesser form of God. John Piper even prays for us in his book, Seeing and Savouring Christ, that we might banish from our minds low thoughts of Christ. The babe in arms was vulnerable, yes, but he was no less God. This is God, who cannot be boxed by our expectations, choosing to set aside the privileges of deity, to limit himself, or as Tozer describes Jesus, God limited deliberately. Christ was born a baby, unable to do anything for himself. He grew up a child, went through puberty, became a man, got hungry, made friends, wept, laughed, slept, loved his mum. He didn't just pop in to say hi or for a walkabout. He lived on earth in human form for at least 33 years. He came to linger, to dwell, to experience all of life in human form, the vulnerabilities, the emotions, the trials. Yet Louis Giglio says... All the while, Jesus was not like others. He knew who he was and what he had to do. He was fully man, yet fully God. Christ Jesus, who is in very nature God, Paul told the Philippians. But our job is not to sit confused over the tension of this fact, but we are instead to stop and consider God who came, that we might turn our faces to him and worship. This miracle tells us something about our God. Colossians 1, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This wasn't a chore that needed to be accomplished. This was God's pleasure, his desire. He wants to know us and for us to know him. He is not distant and does not want us to be distant. When you love someone, you're willing to give up everything for them. Think about those times as a child that an adult you love chose to sit on the floor and play trains or do coloring with you for hours. God came to meet us where we're at in a way that we could relate to. Jesus Christ, the son who perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature, who is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image got down onto the floor, yes, and he got involved, got his hands dirty. But God didn't step into the short story to show off his glory. In fact, no, he veiled his glory. Paul continues in his letter to the Philippians, reminding them that Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status. No, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Colossians reminds us that he did this to reconcile to himself all things through his blood shed on a cross. He lived a selfless, obedient human life and died a selfless, obedient human death. We're not just a project to God, something that went a bit wrong in the Garden of Eden. 
He is mindful of us. We are his creation, his loved ones. God's desire to connect with us is so great that he went to unimaginable lengths to demonstrate that love. He became human to reveal his true nature. He became one of us to bridge the gulf that existed between the creator and his creation. Even before he died on the cross, as we remember today at communion, he demonstrated his love by taking on human form, stepping into the story he'd set in motion. He became tangible, incarnate, and dwelt with us. So what's the third miracle? John 1 again. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John tells us that light and life are integral to who God is. He cannot not be life or light. And this light that came blazed out of the darkness and brought life itself that we might have life. This then is the third miracle. The light brought us life. Christ came not as a temporary fix, but as an eternal solution. Just as he is eternal, so this life light is eternal and cannot be overcome. The world can look a pretty dark place at times and seemingly increasingly, but the good news is that the life light that blazed from heaven and came to dwell with and within us cannot be put out. The shepherds caught a glimpse of this light when the heavenly host appeared to them in a field. It wasn't just a few angels carrying a dimly lit lamp. In fact, they didn't need any lamps because the glory of the Lord shone around them. These were angels who spent their days in the presence of the Almighty and they were carrying the glory of the Lord shining around them. The angels came to announce this lifelight was here. No wonder the shepherds rushed to see the baby. But maybe it's harder for us to understand today the difference that light can make in a dark world. We're not often without light in today's world. And even when it's dark, there are often artificial lights which light our immediate path. So it would be easy to dismiss the impact that John was describing here. The true contrast of the eternal light shining in the darkness. In AD 85, when the sun went down, it was dark, really dark. You might have had an oil lamp or two, but once the sun had set behind the horizon, the warmth and the light went with it. Once the oil ran out, the darkness returned. Imagine the darkest night you've ever experienced and then consider the lifelight blazing out of the darkness so the darkness could not put it out. This wasn't just a little oil lamp he was describing. It was a miraculous light that could not be extinguished, that brought with it life. This was the light with a capital L. But light isn't just to see where we're going. Without the sun that lights our skies, it wouldn't just be dark. There would be no life on earth, no warmth for seeds to germinate or for life to survive in, no light to cause plants to grow and feed life. This sun, then, is the source of everything that's essential for existence here on earth. So how much more does the life light that blazes from heaven bring? This eternal light not only gives everything essential for existence, but shows us the way, removes fear, gives hope, gives life to the full, life eternal. This light that enables us to walk through the darkness, because the darkness cannot overcome this light. God made a new way to him through the sacrifice of Christ. 
leaving the Father's side, becoming flesh, dying on a cross to bear our sin, beating the darkness once and for all through the resurrection. The light went to the cross, sank into ultimate darkness, and won. He was not overcome by the darkness, but he conquered the darkness and brought us life. I just want to finish with a quick story and then we'll respond. So as Pete mentioned, many of you know, I work for Matrix, a local Christian charity, and we work with many vulnerable young people. I just want to tell you a story of one of those. Recently in a local school, there was a 15-year-old girl, we'll call her Maisie, who'd been struggling with life. It wasn't the normal struggles, though. She was scared and really anxious about all that she saw in the world, the darkness that the world presented, and it made her feel really small and insignificant. Over time, this anxiety flowed into how she felt at home with her dominating father, and his interactions increased her worries until she felt alone, abandoned, and without hope. And eventually, that darkness that surrounded her became so all-encompassing that on more than one occasion, she considered ending her own life at 15 years old. Then in steps a youth worker. She met Maisie in a small office, sitting on very hard chairs. She didn't poke or pry, but she sat and listened. She gave validity to her pain and anxiety. She spent time with her. Week after week, she spoke words of hope and brought her before God in prayer. And then things started to change for Maisie. In her own words, she told the youth worker, you showed me there was light at the end of the tunnel, even though I couldn't see it. You never gave up on me, and you were always there for me. Without you, I have no idea where I'd be, if here at all. But it wasn't because of who the youth worker was that Maisie's outlook on life changed. But it was because of what, because of who the youth worker carried. Because she knew and carried the truth of the three miracles we've looked at today. Because the almighty God himself, not a messenger, chose to step down to meet us where we're at. Because he became flesh and walked amongst us. He arrived with skin and planted both feet in our broken world. Because the light and life that came brought not a temporary fix, but an eternal solution. The eternal light beat the darkness once and for all through his death and resurrection. This is our God. If what the band come back up, I think there's two ways that we can respond today. Can we just stand? For some of us, this is an opportunity to step back from the glitter and the, the madness of Christmas and just to remember the magnitude of the story, to bow the knee once again at the manger, remembering that this is God himself, remembering the miracles. But for other of, others of us, there's a challenge not to underestimate the light that we carry and the difference that this light can make to the darkness around us, just as it did to Maisie. Our challenge is to carry the light more obviously. So as we respond now, we're going to sing a, a classic carol, Hark the Herald. I'm just going to read some of the words. And so for some of you, you might just want to think about those words and really worship God in a new way today. For others of you, 
it might be a challenge to you to step out and not to underestimate the light, to ask God what that means in your context. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. 